Awesome, awesome. Well, good morning, you guys. Y'all excited about a weekend of camp? Yeah. Yeah? That's great. You know, my name is Thomas. I told you guys over there you had a chance to meet me very briefly over there. Um, you know what? My background is uh, in student ministry right now, and, and it has been for, for many years, but I also have a deep, rich background in camping ministry, and so I love what you guys are here doing this weekend. I love camping. I grew up as a camper, going to camp as a kid. Uh, after I grew up just a little bit, I started serving at camp in leadership roles, and then after I graduated high school, went on to work at camps uh, to uh, be a part of uh, the, the leadership of camps. And so, man, I have, uh, have a steep history of, of working in camping ministry, and so I love what you guys are getting to do this weekend. This is, I feel at home here. The second passion I have, uh, aside from camping, is hanging out with students. That my job, uh, I'm a student pastor uh, at a church in North Georgia, and so I get to hang out with you guys all the time, build relationships with teenagers, encourage you in God's Word, and so I'm doing the two things that I'm most passionate about this weekend, which is camping and, and hanging out with teenagers, so I'm right at home. So anyway, uh, my family is with us me this weekend. You guys had a chance to meet them, most of you did, over in the gym. Uh, my wife, Samantha, I'm, she is just a, a wonderful helpmate to me, and you know what? She has just as so much passion for teenagers and camping ministry as I do. And, and aside from that, she's a pretty mean cook as well. So uh, I got that blessing. Uh, I have three children. Ella is my oldest. Ella is five years old. Ella, you want to stand up so I can see you? Yeah, there you go. Ella can do her own hair, <laughs> dress herself, uh, and about everything else. Her uh, ambition in life is to take over the world. Um, so she's on track for that. Uh, she is very strong-willed like her dad. Uh, very independent, uh, very strong-willed, and so she is the oldest child, and she has the oldest child syndrome. My next child is Harley Joy, and Harley is very, just very much like her mom, uh, very shy, uh, very sweet, tender-hearted, uh, very merciful, and uh, man, she's just got a beautiful heart, and um, yeah, so Harley's a great, and then my child, my third child is Bryce, uh, he is our youngest, nine months old. And Bryce has aspirations to play uh, linebacker at Clemson University, uh, where he would graduate with a doctorate degree and then go on to play in the NFL. Uh, so, yeah, that's his, uh, that's his ambitions. Um, he's told me that already, by the way. Uh, so, anyway, that's my family. And we're just glad to be with you guys this week, and I hope that you guys are going to have a great time. Uh, and, and I hope this time has, can be a great time, right? I don't need to be like, okay, we got to go to chapel and in the fun. I want this to be fun for you as well, because let me tell you something. I know uh, Paul's heart, and I, lo I know Dave's heart, and, and all the camp staff's heart, your counselor's heart. Their heart is that this can be one of the most important things we do the entire weekend. Uh, hearing God's Word, understanding who He is. That's why this camp exists, so that young people like you can can learn and grow in God's Word and the knowledge of Him and the relationship with Him. So I'm excited about that. You guys can see the uh, theme this weekend is what would Jesus do? We'll do it, right? So this weekend they're asking you guys to do what Jesus would do. And I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember a time not too far uh, ago when it was so cool for some reason to wear WWJD braces. Anybody remember that? Yeah? Okay, let me ask you another question. Is anybody brave enough to admit they still wear one? There you go. There you go. That's good. That's all right, man. Wear it with pride. Yeah. Yeah, you have one. You don't know where it's at? Yeah. Um, forever, it was a rite of passage. If you didn't wear your WWJD bracelet, you couldn't be a real Christian. 
at, at one time in history. And so let me tell you why that was so cool. It was so cool because it was a great phrase. What would Jesus do? It became not only a phrase, but almost a mantra for, for the Christian life. We were asking ourselves, what would Jesus do? And, and it's a great question to ask. And that's why this weekend, your theme is, what would Jesus do? Do it. And, and that's what we want to encourage you guys to do. So here's a little participation from you guys. If you guys will tell me some things that Jesus were alive today, what were some things Jesus would do? You guys tell me. You can raise your hand. You can say it out loud. Yeah, go ahead. So you spread the word of God and, and tell about how to be a Christian, right? Is that what you're saying? Okay. What are some other things Jesus would do? All right. So go out and reach the people nobody really wants to hang out with sometimes. Okay. He would heal the sick. Okay. What are some other things Jesus would do? Heal the blind. All right, he'd be able to answer questions that we have about our faith, yeah? Save the lost, yeah? All right, show love to everyone, impartial in his love. What are a few more? Anybody else? Yeah, go ahead. He would do lots of miracles, yeah. How you saw in the, the short video there. Um, yeah, listen, guys. But, if we were to open up God's Word, we can see over and over and over and over again, if Jesus were alive, these are the things we do, and you're all right. Those are all examples of what Jesus would do. But let me ask you a question. How do we know that? How do we know that the things we just mentioned is the stuff that Jesus would do? Yeah. The Bible. There you go. This guy's smart. The Bible. The Bible tells us this is what Jesus did, so therefore we assume that's what he would still do. The Bible tells us that. So here's what I'm going to do before I start this. I'm just wrapping up a three-week series with my teenagers back home on apologetics. Does anybody know what apologetics is? What's apologetics? Okay, it's basically how to defend your faith. Apologetics means to give an account for, give a, a, a reason for uh, your faith. And so that's what apologetics is. And so we just wrapped up a, a, a three-week series on apologetics, and I taught on uh, the Bible and, and how do we know the Bible's true. So here's the deal I want to ask you guys. Now, I, want, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to ask yourself and be real with yourself. All right? Here's the question. Can you trust the Bible? No, don't, 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 don't ask out loud. Tell yourself. That's, it's okay. Can you really trust the Bible? Do, how do we know the Bible is really God's Word? Do you believe it's God's Word? Do you believe without a shadow of a doubt that the Bible is God's Word? Because let me tell you something. This weekend, I want to be teaching from the Bible. And frankly, if you don't believe this is really God's Word, and you don't really believe it's true and you should follow it, I'm wasting my time in your, in, in your mind. Because everything I have to say is not what I'm, I want to say. It's from God's Word. And, and the way we know what Jesus would do is from God's Word. And if you don't believe that that, that is His Word, then it's going to be difficult for you. Now listen, here's the deal. Here's the, I'll take it even a step further. If you don't believe that, that this is God's Word, and it's, it's applicable for you and I today, it has no authority in your life, right? Right? Okay, for example, you guys have parents in here, right? Everybody say, yeah? Everybody has parents. You got here somehow. I'm just going to tell you that. You have parents, all right? Now, your parents are your authority. Now, some of them assert that authority more than others, right? So if you go home this week uh, on Sunday, and your mom and dad says, son, daughter, go clean your room. And, and you look at them and say, no. What's going to happen to some of you? 
Yeah, 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 that's right. Nothing good comes of that, right? Uh, you will be in pain and agony for some of you. Um, you know why that's the case? Because they're, they're, they're your authority. And if you don't do what they say, they will make sure that you pay for the consequences of not doing what they say to do, right? The Bible is the same thing. It's my authority. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God's Word is your authority. Meaning, you should read it and say, you know, the Bible says I should do this, and then take what it says and apply it to life. Not just knowledge, gain knowledge from it, but application of what it says, because it is authority. On the way here yesterday, I'm driving over a hill, and my wife turns around to do something with Bryce, and when she turns back around, she says, man, you're flying. And I looked down at my speed limit, the speedometer, and I was going 75 miles an hour. And I said, it's not the speed limit 70. Which technically I wasn't going over 70. She says, no, the speed limit's 65. I said, nope, I'm pretty sure I saw a sign that says 70. She says, nope, 65. So we kept going back and forth for another, about another you know, few, half a mile maybe. There's another sign. It was 65. Uh, she won. You know what? Here's the deal. We had that argument. It was a bit, not argument. We had that discussion, and it was a big deal because the speed limit is my authority when I'm driving. If I don't obey the speed limit, what happens? The police officer makes sure I understand that it's my authority by giving me a ticket. So here's the deal, guys. I want to start off today basically with this understanding. There, there has to be an understanding between you and I. And the understanding is this. That this is God's Word. It's the authority in our life. If you're a believer in here today, it's the authority in your life. It is God's Word. It's God's Word. We know that because let me tell you something, guys. This Bible is made up of 66 books, right? You guys know that? It was written by over 40 authors in a process of over 1,500 years. It covers everything from history to philosophy to prophecy to psychology. Listen, the Bible was talking about psychology long before psychology was even a thing. The Bible, the Bible is it's like no other, no other book out there. Let me tell you this. Do you realize in the Bible there's over 2,500 prophecies? 2,500 prophecies. That's a lot of prophecies, right? Basically what that means is 2,500 times in Scripture, someone said, this is going to happen. And of those 2,500 prophecies, you realize how many come true verbatim? 2,000. 2,500 times in the Bible, someone says, this is going to happen. And 2,000 times already, it's happened like it said it was going to happen. Do you understand the probability of that, that being the case? In other words, if I told you this afternoon, you know what, this afternoon it's going to snow. Now, First of all, if it did snow, I'd be somewhat of a, a genius, right? I mean, just to be able to call that. But it's probably not going to snow. But if I was to say it snowed, it snowed, that's good, right? I and mean, that's that, that the probability of that happening would be ridiculous. That's just one prophecy. Two thousand times there was a prophecy given in the Bible, and it came true. You know what the probability of that happening is? You ready for this? It's gonna blow your mind. Ten to the two thousandth power. That's the probability. All you guys are high school. You understand probability, right? The probability of, of me making 2,000 prophecies and 2,000 of those coming true, like I said, the probability that would be 10 followed by 2,000 zeros. That's the probability that happened. Listen, there's no other book out there like the Bible. It's been the best-selling book for as long as we've kept history of, of best-selling books. It's been the best-selling book not only once or twice, every single year it's the best-selling book. It outsells other books. It's not even a comparison. Do you realize that 50 Bibles are sold every minute in America? 
50, excuse me, worldwide, not in America. 50 Bibles are sold throughout the world every minute. That's a lot of Bibles, right? 72,000 Bibles are sold every day across throughout the world. 72,000 Bibles. That's a lot of Bibles, guys. Listen, God says in His Word over and over and over. Read through the Psalms. You'll see over and over and over. God says, I will preserve my Word. My truth will be preserved. You realize that forever, for, for, forever and ever and ever, generations of people, men and women and people, have rose up and their desire has been to extinguish Christianity and the Bible. And you know what? Not been successful. Look at the life of Paul. Does anybody remember what Paul's name was before it was Paul? Saul, that's right. You know who Saul was? Saul made it not only his, his hobby, but his profession to extinguish Christianity. He, he, he made it his profession. My profession is a student pastor. He made it his job, his profession, to extinguish the Bible and Christianity. You know what happened? He had an encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. You know what? It forever changed his life. He went from being trying to eradicate Christianity to, to proclaiming Christ because of that one encounter. Here's the deal, guys. My heart for you is that this weekend, if you haven't had that encounter like Paul had, that you would have that. This weekend, you would have that encounter with Christ that would forever change your life. But here's the deal. I hope that you understand this is not just a book. It's not just a bunch of stories that some, somebody wrote, sat down and wrote down one day. This is God's Word, and it has authority. Now, the only reason I say all of that is to say this. Before we can go any further, that has to be an understood thing between you and I. You have to understand this is God's Word and, and, and apply what it says. Now, now that we got that out of the way, let's dive in, all right? This weekend, our, our, our theme is what would Jesus do? And the only logical conclusion when you ask what would Jesus do, the only logical conclusion is to what? To do it, right? If, if, if Jesus said to do it, if the Bible says to do it, the only logical conclusion that I can come to, and I hope that you can come to, is that we need to do what it says. So here's the deal. If Jesus were here today before us, and we could ask him and say, Jesus, what would you do? I think he would tell us. I think he would tell us, listen, if we open up his word and we just read the Gospels, you see over and over and over what Jesus would do. Just read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will see what Jesus would do if he was alive. It's, it's riddled all throughout it. Jesus did everything from, as we said, heal the sick. He loved the unlovable. He cared for the needy. He cared for those who, who, who needed help. He did share God's Word. He did share the love of God. He rubbed his spit in people's eyes. That did happen. Listen, Jesus was punking the Pharisees long before punking was cool. The Pharisees over and over and over tried to catch Jesus and try to get him and catch him and put him in a corner. And Jesus would just escape and he would, he would do it in such a clever way. But if he was standing here before us, guys, listen, if he was standing right here before you guys today and we were to say, Jesus, what would you do? What would you have us do? What is the one thing, God? What is the one thing you would have us do. This is what I believe he would say. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. In Mark, we find a story uh, of some a Pharisee and a Sadducee and a scribe. And they're, they're, they've come before Jesus, right? This story is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You can read it in all three Gospels, the same account. These guys, these Pharisees, Jesus is having a, a discussion with some Sadducees. 
And, and the Bible says that this Pharisee, a lawyer, Matthew and Mark says a lawyer come. He was a he was a he was a Pharisee. Uh, uh, excuse me. Mark says he's a he's a scribe. But he says he comes before Jesus and he asks Jesus the same fundamental question that you and I are asking this weekend, right? He asks him the same fundamental question: What would Jesus do? What is the most important law? Is what they say. All right. This is what it, what happens in, in Mark chapter twelve, verse twenty-eight. Mark twelve twenty-eight says this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them dis, uh, d- disputing with one another. This was A scribe saw Jesus and, and, and a Sadducee talking to one another. And they were disputing. And the, the scribe, seeing that he answered them well, asked him, listen, the same fundamental question we're asking today, which command is the most important of all? So what he's saying is God... What is the most important law in, in, the, in your word? Some, some, some accounts in this story says, how must I inherit the kingdom of God? But they're saying the same fundamental question. What is the most important thing, right? Jesus said this in verse 29. The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your na- and second is you shall love the, uh, your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. So Jesus says, "Listen, you want to know? You really want to know what is the most important, fundamental uh, law or thing that you should be doing? Here it is: love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength." and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know if you're like me. When I read these verses, sometimes I, t- I, may, I may take it just a little too literal. But when I read, the, when I read these verses, I ask myself, what does it really mean to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? You know, you know what I'm saying? Let me give you an example. If I go back there to Samantha and I walk up to her and say, hey, sweetheart, I love you. Probably not going to have much of an effect, right, sweetie? Or if I said, hey, Samantha, I love you. It's not gonna have, you know what I'm saying? Like, How do we really love Jesus with our strength or with our mind or with our heart or with our soul? Here's what Jesus is saying to these guys. He's saying this. The mind represents all your thoughts. Everything you think, everything that you, that, that goes, everything you think, your plans, your future, your, your, your daily activities, good or evil that you think towards me, your mind, your mind represents everything you think. Then he says, your heart. Your heart represents what? You guys know? Your passions. What are you passionate about? What do you enjoy? What are, your, what are you most passionate about? I mean, I'm passionate about Clemson football. And I'm sorry that come, I hate that for you guys, but I'm passionate about Clemson football. I'm, I'm passionate about my family. Not in that order, by the way. Uh, I'm passionate about fly fishing, about trout fishing. I'm passionate about a lot of things. So my heart represents my passion. What am I passionate about? So that's your mind, your heart. Your soul is representation of your, your spiritual being. And the body is representation of your physical being. So he says basically this. Love. That word love is agape. That, that's what that, that Greek word means, agape. And what it's basically saying is it's a devoted love. And so Jesus, let me break it down for you. Jesus says be devoted, have a devoted love, for God, with your physical being, with your spiritual being, with your 
passions and with your thoughts. So what is he saying? Everything you are, everything, everything that you are as a human being, love God passionately with it, devotedly with it. You get that? So that's what he's telling these, these guys. He's saying, listen, you want to know what's the most important thing? Guys, students, you want to know what the most important thing is for you as a human being? Love God with everything you are. Not just love Him like you love a friend or a family member. Be devoted to Jesus, to God with, with everything you are. And here's the funny thing. You want to hear the irony in this whole thing? As Jesus is telling these guys this, you know, you know what the irony is? It's impossible. It's impossible to love God that way. It's impossible. Let me, me prove it to you. How many of you can honestly say that today or any part in your life, you've loved God with everything? In other words, you, you've had no other love for anyone or anything or any will or any desire. You, it's all been devoted to God. Who can say that? I can't. I can say there's times in my life when I've given Him maybe my passions, or I've loved Him with my, my physical being or my spiritual being, but it's impossible. Over and over and over again, Jesus was constantly getting these guys to understand, you can't do that. The Pharisees did everything. Their, their whole mindset was, i got to win my way to heaven. i got to get to heaven. It's got to be what, by what I do. And so Jesus was constantly trying to get these, these guys to understand, Look, you can't earn salvation. That's what they were asking. In one account, I think in uh, Luke, it says, how must I inherit the kingdom of God? And so he was constantly up there and saying, you can't inherit God's kingdom. You can't inherit eternal life by your own merits. You know why? Because you and I have a flesh and we have a spirit. Even within me, I'm a child of God. But I have the spirit of God living in me. But I also have a flesh. And those two just war constantly. They're just warring with each other. And every day I have to, fight, I have to deal with that battle. And these Pharisees, and, and, and you, we have that same battle going on inside of us. And Jesus was saying, listen, guys, I want you to understand this. Listen, students, nothing you can do in this life, you can't go to church enough, you can't read your Bible enough, you can't give enough money, you can't serve the world enough, you can't, there's nothing you can do to earn God's grace and mercy. The Bible says you are saved by grace through faith. It is not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not that any man should boast. And that's what Jesus is trying to get these guys to understand. But here's the deal. Here's what I've learned as I've matured as a Christian. What Jesus is telling them, why it is impossible to do, it should be my desire. My passion, my, my, I was created to love God. What Jesus is asking them to do is my desire. It should be what he's called us to do. And it should be what motivates me. It should be my, my, my desire and my drive every day is to love God with everything I am. And here's the deal. I have learned the more I do that, the more I, the more I live, the more I pursue Christ, the more I am able to love God with everything that's in me. With everything that's in me. But here's the deal. Here's what, here's what the scribe says after all of that. Here's why, I know, here's why I know what I know. Verse 32. The scribe said to him, You are right. So Jesus said what he says, and the scribe says to Jesus, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that He is one and there is no one beside Him. And verse 33, listen to this. And to love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, with all your uh, love, and, and uh, one's neighbor as oneself. And then it says this. It is much more 
than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. I want you to understand what this is. A, a Pharisee, their dependency on, on, on eternal life was based on offering sacrifices. So here's what would happen. If I was a Jew during that time and I sinned, so that total lie, I had to go offer sacrifice before it just to get forgiveness for that, that. But you know what would happen? I sinned again, you know what I had to do? I had to offer another sacrifice. And so their lives were wrapped up constantly in just offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice to make repentance, repentance for sin. It's the only thing they knew. And what he was saying to Jesus was this. Listen, he said, what you're saying, Jesus, is right. But it is more difficult. What you're saying is more difficult than burnt offerings and sacrifices. So he's acknowledging that what Jesus is saying is impossible. Jesus, all we know is offering burnt offerings and sacrifices for our sin. And what you're asking me to do is more difficult. He says it's much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And this is what happens next. And when Jesus saw that he, said, he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. He's saying, you know what? You get it, scribe. You get it. You understand that what I'm asking you to do is too difficult. And when you're there, when you're at that point, you're not far from being able to inherit the kingdom of God. You know what the next, next step is? Accepting it. You understand it. You have knowledge. You understand. I've explained it to you. You've said it's more difficult. What you're asking from me is more difficult than the sacrifice system that we have in place. And Jesus says, you know what? You're right. And you're, you're right there. You're, you're close to the kingdom of God. All you have to do is accept it. All you have to do is accept that truth. Listen to me, young people. If, if this weekend, the only thing you walk away from is a knowledge and understanding of God's grace and mercy for you, and then make that next step, that, that scribe, listen to what it says. The scribe says, that he in, in, in another version, it says he walked away because he knew he couldn't do this. If you would have that knowledge and then take the next step, which is to apply application of knowledge, it will change your life forever. It will change your life forever. The second part of what he says, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your body, and your strength. And then what does he say? Love your neighbors yourself. In our next session, we're going to talk about that next part. We're going to talk about what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself in our next session this afternoon. But I want to stop right here today, and I want to say this, guys. The first thing Jesus is asking these guys to do is to love God. Now listen to me, young people. I'm done. Give me just two more minutes and I'm done. You're in this room today. You're not here by accident. You might have th thought you got invited. Maybe a bus showed up and picked you up and brought you here. Maybe your parents made you come. But I can tell you guys, you're not here by accident. Jesus Christ and God ordained for you to be here. And you're here for a reason. And this is the reason that you would hear truth. This scribe says, God, what is the most important thing? He says, love God. Some of you are not even there yet. He says, love God with all your dot, dot, dot. You're not even at that first part yet. Love God. Maybe you've never, you, you, you're, you're stuck there. Forget loving him with all that you are. You're stuck at love God. You, you hadn't even made that step first. Let me tell you something. Here's the great thing. When I was in camping ministry uh, as a program director, Every summer I'd have counselors come in. And the first thing I would do every summer at the beginning of the summer, the first night together with the counselors, I'd sit all the counselors down in the room and I would tell them the same thing every time. This is what I would tell them. I'd say, listen to counselors, every week you're going to have kids come into your cabin 
And they're going to come to the week of camp. And when, for, for you, you're going to look at those campers and you're going to say, you know what, they got it together. They're happy. They enjoy being here. The parents brought them. They seem like they love them. Life must be good for that camper. But here's what I know. In all my years of working with teenagers, and whether it be student ministries or working in camping ministry, here's what, here's what I do know about, these, about you. As I'm looking, at, I'm looking at you in the eye right now, here's what I know about you. You carry stuff with you. You have baggage. I, t- I would tell those counselors, those kids coming in your cabin, those teenagers, those kids, they may look all right on the outside, but on the inside, man, they're just hurting. They're broken. Some of them are abused. Some of them are, have parents that have ban- abandoned them. Some of them are doing drugs and alcohol. Some of them are seeking the love of, of boyfriends or girlfriends. Some of them have thought about suicide. Some of them have probably tried to commit suicide. As I'm looking out at you guys, I can say that, you know why? Because I was one of you. I was abandoned as a child by my dad. I was neglected by my mother for most of my life. I put my, I, I sought love and affection in everything, from, from girls that I dated to friends to alcohol, to, to so many things. And everybody else thought I had it all together. Everything, everybody thought, man, life is perfect. But here's what I knew. I didn't love God. I didn't know the love of God. Until my, between my junior year and senior year of high school, I went to a youth rally. I went to a, a youth camp at a church, much like this. And the speaker stood before me, and he told me about the love of Jesus Christ and how he could fill those hurts and how he could give me something that, that, that drugs, alcohol, friends, family, girlfriends, relationships, cutting, all the, none of that could give me what Jesus Christ could give me. And I said, you know what? I've tried everything else. Let me give this Jesus guy a try. And since that point in my life, it's never been the same. You're here this morning, guys. I know you're carrying burdens. I know that you're full of just junk. I know that you... You're caring so much. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I love you. I love you so much that I went to the cross and I died on that cross to take your sins, the things that you do against me. You don't have to offer burnt offerings. You don't have to offer sacrifices. I've paid it all. My death on the cross paid for your sins, and I want to forgive you for that. You know what? You may be like that scribe who's standing right there, and Jesus is saying to him, looking into his eyes, and he's saying, love the Lord your God. And that's, you, you, that's your first step. You've got to get to that point first. This morning, I want to give you guys that opportunity. I just feel led that maybe no one's ever given you that opportunity. Maybe this morning that you're here for that reason. And so here's what I'm going to do. I want the counselors to stand up and kind of go to the back of the room if you, if you don't mind. If you're a counselor, if you're a camper, just close your eyes and, and sit there and, and just pray. Um, think about what I've said. And maybe, this, maybe today is the day that you, for the first time in your life, take that first step. That scribe... Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God. You've got to take that first step today. And, and later on, we'll, we'll, we'll worry about with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your body, and strength. We'll worry about that later. Take that first step. That scribe, Jesus looked at him and said, you're not that far away from the kingdom of God. Guys, listen, you are literally one decision, standing up in your chair, going back and finding your counsel. You're one decision away from making that decision to accept Christ in your heart. And let me tell you something. Life's not going to be perfect after that. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. But I can tell you this. Since I gave Christ my, since I accepted Christ in my heart, my life has never been the same. I have no regrets. 
It's been, my life now, since the time I knew Christ till now, has never been, never been better. Because I have a joy. I know that love. So here's what I want to do. If that's you today, I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, get up and go find your counselor, and they would love to tell you about it. I would love to tell you about, about how to accept him. So while I pray, if that's you, you want to talk to your counselor about what, I, what I've talked about today, would you just stand up and go to the back? Nobody's looking around. No one's going to judge you. It's between you and the Lord. So I pray you, you can get up and go back. God, I love you, and I thank you so much. I thank you for these students. God, I thank you for their attention. I thank you for their heart. And God, I don't know in this room what's going on. I don't know about the hurts they're faced with. I don't know about the struggles they're faced with. But I know this, that you love us unconditionally. And you showed us that unconditional love by dying on the cross for our sins. And God, I can tell you as a child of God, someone who's experienced this, experiences just like I've experienced breathing air, I know that it's life-changing. I know that you change lives. And so, Father God, I pray today that you would give these students if they, the boldness to get up and, and, and go talk to their counselor or maybe after this session's over, Lord, just to, to pull their counselor aside and just talk to them. But, Lord, I pray that you would give them the boldness, God, to, to make that first step and love God. Choose to love you by accepting you into their hearts. God, we love you and thank you so much for this day, for all that you're going to do today, for the fun we're going to have, and we ask all things in Jesus' name.